0: And right. then there's the group of people that are like technologically competent, like I know you can do this, but right. for some reason they're just like, nah, I don't really like it, like I want to be in person.
1: Right, so then once COVID hit and we couldn't play in person, all of a sudden they figured it out, it was amazing. <laughs> oh, like magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now they love it, like I told the
0: Impossible. Ya. Welcome to Dungeons & Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and today I'm talking with special guest Rob Davis, who's also known as The Swamper, and he's been playing D&D since 1977 and hasn't run the same adventure twice. If you've been on the fence before, I've added a ton of new content to my Patreon reward tiers. There's now Discord integration and access to exclusive bonus mini-episodes that are available over on Patreon.com slash Dungeons & Dinners. Let's welcome Rob to the D&Dinners table. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere be right with you (laughs) and as i said in the intro we are here with rob also known as the swamper rob thank you for joining me at the dungeons editors table
1: happy to be here looking forward to it
0: great and uh so for the uninitiated um who are you and what are your interests in the rpg sphere
1: Okay, so I have been—I uh, played D and D for the first time when I was 14, <clears throat> and as I'm nearing retirement, that was 1977. Okay, so I've wow. been playing since forever, since before 1E was a thing. Um, where I have a lot of experience is in writing and running adventures, because I've been doing that almost weekly since. So I've written literally thousands of adventures. Where I'm not so experienced is I haven't had a lot of play outside of D anD D. A handful of systems. I'm always uh, a little odd by people that have played, you know, forty different RPG systems.
0: Kind of same. I've I've looked through a few, but I I have not played nearly as many as I've read the rules for. So yeah. Yeah. There's a few on my bucket
1: list, like my gaming bucket list, like I'd like to play someday. What what are
0: some of your, your ones that you're interested in seeing played out?
1: Well, there's a silly one called Toon, where you get to play as a cartoon character.
0: Yes, <laughs> I've seen that one.
1: I want to play that just to experience that goofy cartoon physics, you know? Yeah, like, lots of dropping
0: thing. anvils on people. Sure, and sure. Oversized I'll, bombs. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll, I'll just take the stuff this whole fridge in my pocket, you know? Yes, like yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> everyone has a portable hole. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so long time D and D player then, and since you tend to, you know, said you write a lot of adventures, do you tend to lean more on the DM side of things?
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> like 99% to one.
0: <laughs> um,
1: I, I wouldn't mind being a player more. I think one of the best, uh, tips for learning to be a better DM. Is to be a player with lots of other DMs and see how Mm -hmm. they do things and know what you like and what you don't like and think, oh, I can use that in my game. Or, oh, that's annoying as a player and I do it. I should stop doing that. No, that kind of thing. So I think it's always uh, a good learning experience. But I'm definitely, you know, 99% DM. And I kind of prefer it.
0: Yeah, no, same. I've I found that like it can be difficult to separate my DM brain when somebody else is running, but if I can and when I do, I de- I all there's always something to be learned because everybody's got such different styles that.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, people do all things differently, but yeah, it's hard to not think. Well, geez, if I was DM, I wouldn't have done that. You got to turn that part off when you're mm-hmm. playing.
0: Yeah. So where do you fall on the spectrum of more kind of crunchy rules DM or more the story is everything and the rules don't matter?
1: Um I guess in the middle, I I like to say my ideal ideal system has the maximum amount of crunch that does not interfere with the
0: role play. <laughs> okay. But do you want to elaborate on so sure, so what yeah, is yeah, yeah. What, what crunch do you want to maximize?
1: So so like D D 5e i would say is medium crunchy compared to other systems again i'm not yeah, well versed in other systems so. but it's certainly more comp- complex than like osr games or things like that or fate right. uh, yes. but less so than uh you know shadow run perhaps or games like mm-hmm. that <clears throat> so i like having all those uh tools and mechanics there but at the same time i'm uh, much of a very story-driven uh, DM, so despite having all these rules, if you in any of my sessions, ninety percent of the time the system is not engaged, right? It's right. We're playing out a scene, and there's no rolling of dice, right? People are making decisions and stuff. Or if someone does make a dice roll, it's like they make a roll. Okay, we use the system for five seconds, and then you know we went on, right? So right. I don't I don't want it to get in the way. <clears throat> I'm a rule of cool, but I do think that there's an importance to uh, consistency. Sorry, my cat's going mental in the
0: background. <laughs> no worries. I've got plenty of fur animals in the house. I'm lucky that they. I, most of my podcast recording is just after they eat dinner. So <laughs> they're pretty calm during that time. If I did it earlier in the morning, my dog would be bothering me for walks. So. <laughs> but um so rule of cool so i i am a pretty heavily rule of cool kind of person and will often let players maybe skirt some of the rules and not have to roll as heavily if if they're if they're role-playing and providing that interaction and feedback so i don't have to do all of the work then those dcs might just come down a couple of notches you know
1: sure sure i i I mean, you want to because those are cool scenes. They're great images, right? But I think you have to be careful in that if you allow something, then you can set a precedent so that players can do it all the time and stuff like that. Yeah. So if a player wants to do something that's like crazy, I will give them a shot at it, but I will also let them know this is not going to be easy. You're probably going to have to make two or three different roles. I'm going to... I'm gonna, you know, somersault over the bar, bounce off it, grab the chandelier, swing through the air, grab the torch off the wall, and then stab it into the ogre's sp- face. Okay, <laughs> let's make oh, yeah, some that's, rolls that's here. Whole, right? Yeah. yeah,
0: right. Definitely, it's a, uh, it's one. Of, it is a fine line between letting letting them have their fun and making them think they have plot armor. Like, right, 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 They're right, not right. invincible, and they and they're not going to succeed at everything they think they can do. <laughs> Yeah. and it may not even be their fault they may be super acrobatic that that you know stud that's holding in the chandelier just isn't very strong so yep,
1: for sure eh? whoops a one eh hmm.
0: yeah exactly <laughs> let's have it's always how it goes the best laid plans are are set to ruin by the dice
1: and, and when you talk to players about oh tell me some cool moments in your games often those stories are about spectacular failures right yes so.
0: yeah Well, and recovering, like getting through, because if the plan went exactly how you imagined it, then like that's writing a book, but it's, it's when the very first roll of the very first step of the plan that's supposed to be easy. We just have a low DC sneak to get past this first guard that fails and the whole rest of the plan is gone. And all of a sudden everybody has to think in the moment while they just spent an hour planning this out yeah that's yep that's when things get wild and fun and oh, those yeah. are moments i live for
1: yeah yeah oh uh, what now guys right oh uh, well we need to formulate a new plan okay uh, the guards will probably be there in about 10 seconds so right
0: <laughs> you've got to. we're we are now in initiative order there we you go Six seconds to speak <laughs> that's it
1: yeah 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 for sure yeah, um so, really cool is great
0: so you started uh, one, playing. Can I say one more thing about Yeah, yeah no, cool go for it. Please.
1: Is uh, don't just limit it to the PCs. You can have NPCs or even monsters. Yeah, do stuff that's like, holy crap! I... Whoa, I didn't know anyone could do that. You know what I mean? Stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When the when when the players go, hey, hey, he only gets six seconds to do it. I'd be like. How many how how many times did I let you do something cool? Right. I get to do something cool. I planned this. Right. <laughs> and DMs, if you're not like
1: if it's something that going to punish or hugely disadvantage the players, the sky's the limit. If you want to say a person comes into the room and bursts into a cloud of smoke and speaks to you as a sentient cloud of smoke, whatever, have that happen. Like there's <laughs> they're not no one's being hurt by it. You know what I mean? Or set back.
0: Right. It, it, enemy mages don't have to follow player character creation. They can have spells that don't exist. Yeah. Like, that's Absolutely. that's something that I definitely advocate for. Um, So you started playing really, really early, and one thing that I am kind of fascinated by is I had a, a small experience with it, so I'm kind of close enough to the Southwest that some of that tends to bleed through, but the Satanic Panic is something that kind of hit right in the middle of your early gaming scene. So did you yep. feel or see any repercussions of that while you were kind of growing up with D&D?
1: Sure. Um, nothing huge. Um, my my mother was, you know, reasonable. But I, I do have an interesting anecdote, which I'll tell you in a moment. I'll just say that I do remember, you know, people, you'd have talk shows on the radio where people would call in and, you know, some people would be generally afraid of this and other stuff. I, I can remember seeing articles in the newspaper, you know, telling you, be afraid, worry. You know, it's, right. it's no difference than oh, rock music will turn kids evil, right? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> so um, I, my aunt, one of my aunts was, uh, at the time anyway, particularly religious and she gave my mom this booklet it's a somewhat classic booklet you might have seen now about the satanic panic it's it's a black and white thing like this like a little comic book it's about i'm holding my hands up i'm on a podcast
0: about like four inches square yeah yeah,
1: by four inches by three inches it was black and white about 12 pages and it tells the tale of this uh, teenage girl who brainwashed her father into buying her D books and all these evil expressions on her face with the eyebrows <laughs> planted in and stuff like this and so my my aunt gave my mom a copy of this so my mom read this little thing and she came down to one of our games in the middle of the game which was not something that she normally did right and she just stood there in the corner and watched us play for about 10 minutes and then she walked out of the room shaking her head chuckling about her nonsense sister so. <laughs> I,
0: uh, well, they've got they've got 3 empty cans of soda, a bag of a bag of cheese puffs and they're all giggling uh, something about elves. I don't know. It seems I, fine. <laughs>
1: yeah, I do remember her asking me, is there demons and like, you know, sacrifices in your game?" I said, "There can be demons," I said, "but basically it's a bunch of good guys banding up to stop evil." Mm -hmm. oh all right that was pretty much the only question she asked me yeah
0: (laughs) yeah i was i was in a position where my dad it wasn't super strong strong against it but he was like just like don't play an evil character and like he was the same way with video games he was like you can play whatever you want but like maybe not the necromancer at least until i see (laughs) if it's you know bad or not right and so he was he was pretty chill with it though so i definitely appreciated that Oh necromancer! Um, one of my
1: favorite classes in video games. Right. Give
0: them minions. I, minions, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything that summons lots and lots of pets to do all of the action economy for, for me. For sure, for sure.
1: I'll just pick so, up the trigger.
0: Yeah. Running as as a DM, do you have a kind of kind of speaking of necromancers, do you have a go-to type of baddie that you love? I just absolutely love running in a campaign
1: i'm gonna say no because mm-hmm. what's really important to me i mean i've run probably oh i'm gonna say 40 to 50 campaigns of like six months or to a year and what i try really really hard to do is to not repeat myself so uh, you know cool. the 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 trope of the party meets in a tavern I will never do that again as the first encounter of a campaign. That's really cool. Ever. And whatever idea I come up with to start another campaign, I will never repeat that. And That's awesome. So, yeah, because you want to you want to be different and one of the ways you can help yourself be different is to force yourself into different structures and limitations and say now write within this framework or that framework and stuff like that. So, Yeah, I've had baddies everywhere from, you know, orcas coming down and smashing stuff up to a foppish, weak, really, villains that are just really rich and have lots of bodyguards.
0: That's a great way to, like, (laughs) uh, the rich villain that is actually weak is I think a trope that's used a lot in television and like cartoons and things like that, but is not really a lot of people don't, they want their bad. They want to run the bad guy as like the final villain. And it's like the bad guy can hire the final villain.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I remember having maybe too much fun uh, running a scene where the PCs were over talking to this BBG. This was like mid campaign. And he was just a total dick, like he was just an ass. But he's got, you know, there's iron golems standing there. There's all these dudes in plate mail and everything else. And he's just being a jerk to them. Yes, yeah, so I'll allow you to have a drink. Fine, feel free, but don't touch the good China. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, right. I still want to kill this
0: guy. Right? <laughs> yeah, so... So have you, this is a topic that I haven't gone to explore a lot, but I think you might be one of the few people that I can, I could poke around and see, uh, have you run any Spelljammer?
1: Um, no, I haven't, uh, I haven't run it. The closest I've come to it is like sigil and plane hopping and stuff like that, but uh, not Spelljammer. Spelljammer is an interesting concept, but, uh, I don't. I think it's like a mashing of genres. Yep. And that's not really my thing. I don't want any guns in that's my fair. world. Or if I'm going to have something weird in my fantasy world, it's going to be to help show, well, this is weird. Right? right. This isn't kind something that normally focus. shows up. Right? So, yeah, I mean, I've run games non-D&D that were in more contemporary settings, but I not not spelljammer
0: okay that's fair i've i've run a couple of like future tech campaigns uh the the d20 when the d20 srd for three 5 kind of became a thing there was a really a, a good set of d20 modern and d20 future packs that kind of came out Thanks. and i i ran some future tech and this i actually didn't know spelljammer was a thing but i was always kind of thinking like oh it'd be really cool if you could run something that mashed these up a little bit more with something more true to D&D and yeah I haven't I've have not met anybody that's run a long standing spelljammer. Maybe like spelljammer as a ship in the underdark is, has shown up a couple times but not actually going to space. So uh, two two or
1: three campaigns ago I had a prolonged sex, uh part in the campaign, like 10 or 12 sessions where the party was on a ship traveling through the astral plane. So that was, that's pretty spelljammer-ish. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah,
1: they fought get Yankee pirates and other. There weird
0: you go. Stuff. I yeah. mean, that's, that's pretty spell jammery. Yeah. <laughs> so you're now, you're now the closest I've gotten.
1: <laughs> One yeah, of these yeah. days. It was, it I don't was know. Fun. I don't
0: know nothing about it. So, I mean, I know a little bit, I, I would love to see it come back because i think that the the blend of sci-fi and fantasy is kind of an underused trope in my opinion i know it's not everybody's shtick but i feel like there's so much to explore in there that it could be really interesting so
1: yeah i mean i like for me i guess i like magic right which is prevalent mm-hmm. in fantasy and i like really like sci-fi i could wax on forever about star trek there you but go i don't like magic and science almost seem to be a conflict, right? Science is used to explain what we would think of as magic. So I, I just, I don't know. It just kind of rubs against me that way. No, that's
0: fair. I mean, it, you could always hand wave the, the kind of, at least until it's more colloquially understood, you could be like, ah, quantum mechanics explains magic. So, <laughs> Well, actually,
1: that, that's an that's a interesting thing. So in I, I have a homebrew world I've used since the 80s and um i once had a player ask me how does magic work Mm -hmm. and i didn't have a good answer for it so i figured it out so in my world magic how it works is understood very very well by the casters it's not oh i don't know it's magic i that that's never true in my world magic in my world is is as as well understood as like um Physicists, modern physicists understand physics, which is to say not everything. So uh, the the short version is that when the caster says certain sounds and makes certain gestures and everything else, it's a formula, right? And this is how you can have different formulas that have the same effects. And so if a caster casts a fireball, what he's actually doing is opening up a little tear between the prime and the plane of fire and Mm -hmm. pulling that fire through and shaping it that's yep. what the formula does right it's not the caster just creating it out of nothing kind of thing so uh, having a, a sort of scientific explanation for magic has served me well
0: no i love that because i think and i and i really believe in like kind of uh, ways to keep the conservation of mass and energy in check Whilst also somewhat allowing the players to think they because there's tons of ways that you can achieve kind of perpetual motion or infinite energy with magic items sure but i love kind of leaning on like what you don't know is that these are sapping massive amounts of matter and energy from other planes and somebody's gonna notice you're causing rifts in their dimension and you don't know that you've suddenly become the bad guy to their entire plane of existence
1: yeah Right. So one example of that in my world is if you cast any kind of summoning spell, you're not creating these things out of nowhere. They mm-hmm. exist somewhere already and you are pulling them to your location and then yes. at at the end of the spell, if they're still alive, they go back there. So you can imagine a sort of amusing situation where somebody's riding a horse and the horse just vanishes from underneath <laughs> them. And then reappears with arrows sticking out of it. You know what I mean? Like, what the hell? <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, I, this I keeps that, happening. Right. We got to investigate this. <laughs> it sets up those kind of unforeseen consequences. Like especially if they keep on trying to summon the same horse, and then they they some hero right. somewhere else is now paying wizards to find out in his realm what's That's happening what to his to his horse.
1: <laughs> now right. your summoning is another party's quest.
0: Right, right, exactly. And you can even flip that the other way where the party is moving along, climbing a mountain, and one of their horses disappears. And for no reason. And a minute later it reappears. Oh, that's brutal. Where <laughs> they're just like the uh, somebody needed a rope. Uh, right. Guess what? <laughs> Your rope's gone. Oh man. Oh man, that's it brutal. comes back frayed with a charred bottom and <laughs> about a foot and a half shorter. <laughs>
1: I like too on on a, on a less silly note. I like the potential moral quandary there too. Is that you're not this is, this familiar that you keep getting killed off is not just mm-hmm. some non-existent thing. This is a living creature that yes. you are getting killed, right? Yeah. So there's a moral quandary to it. So I really and, like and that.
0: And it, it's probably under the guardianship of greater fey creatures that are aware that their their grove keeps on getting mysterious disappearances and nobody returns and you make the Feywild mad and it's gonna come back at you.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Salafitus the demon shows up because you've killed eight (laughs) imps.
0: Right? Like what are you doing
1: to my imps? These are We
0: we need to stop this or you need to care about them a lot. Or we need a contract, a pact, something's gotta go down.
1: Yeah, in, uh, in my home game, one of my players uh, is considering summoning a demon when he gets the ability, and to not piss it off, make a deal with it. Listen, I know you didn't mean to come here, but you do me a favor, and I'll owe you a favor maybe. How does that right. sound, right? That's lots of cool possibilities. Oh, and yeah, and that.
0: that's so much. That's that's a ways to... Uh, to hook players into like you don't always need a backstory sometimes you just need a player saying i'll do i'll do you a favor and that's one of the juiciest things that you could hear a player say as a dm
1: <laughs> yeah yeah for sure
0: so um it uh it wouldn't be dungeons and dinners if we didn't uh-huh. also talk a little bit about uh you've got a uh, plenty of history so i'm sure you have seen an innumerable number of snacks Oh God! uh... (laughs) so talk some to that do you have do you have a favorite like a go-to snack or Um,
1: sure uh i don't even know if they have these in the u.s i'm in canada um my go-to snack is um uh hostess hickory sticks they're like potato sticks
0: oh okay
1: oh man i just oh, no they're, they're not they're egg.
0: not very that's not a very popular hostess it tastes kind of like a
1: like a not quite bar, a little bit barbecue smoky potato chip but they come in in sticks in like three or four inch sticks thin sticks
0: oh okay i'm yeah. i'm checking these out now those look all i would be down on that they look kind of like um, sticks, oh, oh they're, they're yeah the bomb. you can get like potato like crunchy potato stick fries in in the U.S., but they're not flavored. So yeah. Um. Do you that, uh? That's do you? Yeah, let's go to you. Do you? Uh, tons. Of, sorry. Come on. No, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. I was
1: just gonna say, like, at my table, at least back in the pre-COVID times when we had home games, right? I mean, it was it was not. It was pretty commonplace by the end of the session that there's five or six empty bags on the <laughs> table, yeah. You know I mean, and crumbs. crumbs. Yeah.
0: Well, there's always crumbs is it's either crumbs or grease. Like True. if you do, if you're not True. if you don't need a napkin to clean <laughs> up it. before you touch your, your handbook, then you're probably don't not do Don't touch done the right. map with those greasy fingers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah hands uh, yeah. off the minis. They're yeah, not they're it. not coated yet. I'm still painting them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Once or twice, um over the years I've done like a, a barbecue day where I have a, a longer session, but we split it up in the middle by stopping to have a barbecue meal you know burgers and hot dogs and then mm-hmm. back to the game
0: no i i mean that's where i've told a lot of people that's where the the concept for dungeons and kind of came from is i played a game that had at least three or four kind of quality chefs myself included wow and so we it started with just snacks but then before long became <laughs> full-blown <laughs> dinner meals <laughs> and like one to two hours of cooking wow and, and so i was being like when we took when we break for the took our, our break halfway through it might just be over because <laughs> we're, we've got to cook dinner and then and then everybody's gonna eat and then everybody's we, if we didn't give everybody food itis then it's it, we were not successful and we all started right. kind of one-upping each other holy and, moly uh, so <laughs> so our monday nights became dungeons and dinners
1: (laughs) it brings new meaning to the term prepping for the game
0: yeah really really we would talk for like the whole half of our after session would be like oh man i loved how your character went this way and i don't know where the story's gonna go and we're all so excited and then the other half would be like okay so we're gonna do uh fish tacos but i'll go ahead and fry the shells if you bring in like the the meat and like and organizing like okay well if you're gonna do that i'll make a homemade guacamole and like the whole thing would just over the course of the week half of our group text would be how are we gonna beat the bad guy and the other half would be who's bringing what ingredients (laughs)
1: wow wow it's cool. I mean, it's cool to have a theme and come with so it many is. in one group, right? That's so that's
0: a That was the big thing cuz like in a lot of in the a lot of past ways like I love to cook and I love to bring not necessarily fancy, but you know, like quality snack. Like I love one of my favorites is like a buffalo chicken dip and just or like grilled chicken drumsticks or something where like everybody can have like bacon-wrapped chicken legs and And just interesting things like that that I can kind of throw out there and finger foods, of course. But having other cooks start upping the ante, I I was like, oh, I got to I got to learn something here. (laughs) I've got to I got to up my game.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Pressure's on. I got competition.
0: yeah, so speaking of kind of upping the game, and and with such a sorted history, have you been in any multi DM like really large scale games that had multiple parties interacting?
1: Um, I've done, um, I've done a, a couple of collaborations where there was multiple DMs. Uh, let me see. So years ago, I used to run with a group called the Tuesday Nights because we played on Tuesday nights, and. Solid what, name. What we would do is we would um, we played in the same world and one person would DM for about six months, a campaign, and then it would just literally just took turns going around the table. Right. And each campaign at least would acknowledge what happened in the previous campaign. That's really cool. So so like you've
0: the the foundation as you've already built, you can't change the past, but you can take it wherever you want in the future. That's kind of cool
1: right um i did a few years ago with two other dms i did i ran like a year-long campaign and then in my world and then they ran a year-long campaign in their world and this one ran a year-long campaign in their world and uh i mean as much as i love my world i also love oh that's a cool interesting world you got there i like this and this and this so you know there's there's the joys of of that so
0: i think that's a really great there's been a a lot of talk about uh, with the, the last couple of few people that I've I've interviewed, just talking about if you've played for a year or more as a player, like try out DMing, even if it's a one shot or whatever with the same group of people, like you probably know as much, if not more, as the person behind the screen and you'd be surprised at all the cool things that you can do when you just try it on for size.
1: Absolutely. And you'll also come away, even if you only do it once, you'll come away with an appreciation for how much work goes into DMing.
0: And right? how much you really wish everybody would just learn their darn spells. <laughs> Be ready when yes. it's your turn. <laughs> I have so
1: many things to prep. All you gotta do is prep the little bit of stuff you have. Yes. Come on. Yeah, you've
0: got like you got like six abilities and two magic items. Just know what they do. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> so um with the us being in kind of post COVID times, and we had talked a little bit before the podcast about this as well, uh, you've taken on to online gaming quite a bit then. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. It's funny because uh, my home group, my regular home group, I, I used to uh, DM for them in person and then I would, a player in an online uh, campaign with other people and, did some of one of those DM collaborations I was talking about. And I would talk to either group about the other group and how much fun it is, blah, 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 blah. And I was trying to get one of them to join some of the online stuff and trying to get them to, to play digitally was like pulling teeth. Like, right? like it, can it was be. almost like I was talking to Luddites and I know they're not Luddites.
0: <laughs> right. Right.
1: Come on, it's a video conference, right? You can play.
0: I, I no, found it's that so easy. You just sit yeah, at it, home. like <laughs> it's actually easier to make digital maps than hand-drawn yeah. ones that you're oh, trying yeah. to cover Booker. up with pieces of paper and handle light oh, sources. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Digitally, it's so much easier, but I found that it can be there's kind of two camps of people. There's the the camp of people that's like, oh my god, finally. I don't have to do any of this. I don't have to find marker boards and battle right. maps and solutions. Right. And right. then there's the group of people that are like technologically competent. Like, I know you can do this, but right. for some reason there's like, nah, I don't really like it. Like I want to be in person.
1: Right. So then once COVID hit and we couldn't play in person, all of a sudden they figured it out. It was amazing. <laughs> oh, like
0: magic. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Now they love it. Like I told you. The impossible.
0: Ya. Suddenly becomes possible. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So uh, there's that. Yeah. And uh, so do
0: you find yourself like while I'm sure and most people kind of not most, but a lot of people generally enjoy the in-person experience because there's a lot of community to be gained from that. But I think there is also something to be said for the amount of power that the online experience has, especially in being able to play with people all across the world.
1: Right. There's definitely pros and cons on both sides of the camp, and and I can't. It's hard for me to say which one has more pros, right? right. Um, so the the pros for in person. I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, the social experience, getting to see people, but also um, when uh, when I role play, I'm a ham, so I'm always really getting into the NPCs, and um, right. I have lit, I have literally like gotten up from the chair and i'm walking around gesturing as the npc and pacing back and forth yes. you know what i mean glaring at them i remember one time uh, a player was uh getting let's just say mind drained by a by a mind flare and i literally yes. stood behind their chair and <laughs> <laughs> like doing tentacle sounds right so you can do that uh, another good thing about um in person is you can have side conversations much more easily. Yeah, I can be doing can a scene with a player aside. to my right, yeah. where two other players can speak in character to the left, right. You can't really do that in a video chat. I mean, yeah. you can do it with text, but not easily.
0: It's harder to manage typing. Uh, it's a skill that I had for a little while when I was in uh, like a call center and customer service. Uh, I did IT support. And learning to say one thing from a script while typing something completely different. It's doable, but yeah. it is hard. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You're really splitting your brain. I, I've yeah. done it a little bit um, in the games.
0: If and the then, script is repeated enough, then it's a little easier, but that's not that, something that's that happens to me. That's true. Yeah. I of that.
1: and it's sort of like rote. Um, and also handouts, right? The The yeah. textile feel of handouts. Right. Digitally Literally though, seeing there's some... the dice roll as opposed now to that digital is digital yeah. dice roll.
0: Right. They've done a lot with like the 3D dice and stuff, sure. which is cool. Sure. But it, they, they, I do like kind of the burned paper, tea stains, you know, real maps and things is great. But like on the flip side, though, making magic items online when you have access to digital artwork and you can give them like you can Google at artificers crossbow and just scroll through pinterest for an hour and find the perfect you know really wicked looking image to to download and copy in that can also like i think there's a lot of that that's really i don't even even when my printer works it doesn't work great and it's not quite the same as a like a high def image kind of in a card so yeah
1: quite so quite so i mean i guess another one i have to add pro for the live side is you can't do the meals like you were talking about
0: right yeah <laughs> right. it's a lot harder you can't share them me- <laughs> you can share the recipe and that's what do you, what about do you as- think of this <laughs> yeah <laughs> Taste this. yeah but then, so still not here
1: the the video side of course is uh, what you just uh, alluded to that's the easily the biggest plus instead of having to be within driving range i've played with people from all over the world i've played with people in new zealand i played with people in chechnya all oh, wow. over europe all over the us all over even south america all throughout canada like that's an opportunity i never ever would have without digital right
0: oh yeah no i i can't afford to to travel uh 2 000 miles once a week <laughs> right
1: right but i mean you never even meet these people otherwise right, right? so yeah. you know you got that that great opportunity and one of the big advantages of that uh, something that's often um, not Given much shrift in uh, theory discussions, D D discussions is finding players with similar styles to your own. Right? There's many styles, and you know the, the vast majority of them are valid, but it's still going to be better if everyone enjoys the same style. Yeah. Right. If, if you're if you're if you're really into the storytelling, you're going to get bored min maxers often who just want to crunch yeah. and smash and crunch and smash, and vice versa. Right
0: yeah, no, so it can it can, it can be really hard to to manage those. you've either got to offer really, really good and tight campaigns that can satisfy everybody a minute at a time, often enough to keep their interest right. or yeah, you've got to align together on something
1: right. So having all the gamers in the world with digital access as a potential to player pool to draw from, you're much more likely to attract like-minded players to whatever style you enjoy, right? So that's huge. Um, I think it
0: also offers up the ability to kind of, from both sides, either interview the DM or interview the players. For sure. Where locally, depending on the size of the city or town that you're in, you may not have a huge number of people to play with. I certainly didn't for a long time. Yep. And sometimes bad D&D felt better than no D&D, even though it wasn't. And when you're online, you can just there's I've interviewed for there's campaigns that I've thought, oh, I would love to play in this campaign. And I'm like, but I want to spend 20 minutes talking with the DM. I want to know how they feel about, you know, what level of homebrew they use, if it's acceptable to change the look and feel of a spell as long as the rules are the same or whatever the case may be and find out maybe they're not the right fit. And, or maybe they end up being like, I like a a certain amount of goofy, but there's, I have a limit to like, if it's only going to be all goofs all the time. Like I like a story that is serious enough that when I am engaged in role-playing that I can take it seriously. And when we are being goofy, that can be, that can be fine as well.
1: Right. Right. It has to have some gravitas. So the other thing online, um, one a cool advantage I, I can think of is you can have sound effects playing uh now i suppose at home you could have a laptop and you can have that queued up but it's, it seems to be much easier when you're already yeah. looking at a screen and it's before you right um a common one is just have ambient town sounds playing when the party is traveling through town or combat music if a combat occurs uh i had a situation a little while ago where the party encountered some gibbering mouthers, right? Ooh. So gibbering mouthers are those weird amorphous creatures with like 10 or 20 mouths on them all babbling at once. And it's like, and so if someone says to you, how does that sound? I can't really do an impression yeah, of that. Yeah, I only
0: have one mouth. <laughs> That's I <can't> right. I can give <laughs> the proper
1: right but i can play a I can play a wave file that someone else has made up and this is what it sounds like yeah when i played that it freaked the players out they're like whoa what the heck right so that's a that's a cool thing like it's much easier to to share uh, digital maps and stuff like that information very quickly instead of having to hand papers across the table and, and stuff like that or have to pass them around it's like here's what it looks like bang
0: Right, everybody sheer, see and proof, everybody sees proof, right. it all at once. You don't yep. have the oh that's cool hand to the left. Right.
1: Oh that yeah. Like right. Every.
0: And I Here's think the that
1: note one person reads it and then passes mm-hmm. it along. Right.
0: The uh, you can also do like animated maps, which are becoming more and more oh, of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Where waterfalls are animated, lava flows, explosions can blow things up. Like, Torches
1: have that flickering glow. Right. Lava.
0: There's a lot of effects that you can leverage if you're if you know where to look and you spend some time doing it. But I don't think that it's any more time than you would spend trying to find roll up whiteboards and you know whatever other tools and materials you need to, mm-hmm. to build your maps with.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's definitely advantages to to playing online, digital sound, and the big one being you know exposure to a, a wider variety.
0: No, that's a. It does. It it brings in a bigger. It, it I guess it. What I'm trying to say is that it lets you see how big the community really is. That yeah. I think it's easy to get lost in, feeling like you're in a niche, especially at least for me. Uh, I was D and D was not popular for a long time, <laughs> so the 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 populace to pick from was small.
1: I can remember a time where you had to be careful who you let know that you were a nerd who played D&D. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah, were bunch. not popular for a long yeah. while. <laughs>
1: yeah, they're they're cool now. Another thing that occurred to me about uh, digital play is that if you want to record like a live play, that's much easier, like technologically demanding. It's far less technologically demanding than having to have cameras set up all over the place. A light and crew. And...
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people that are able to run the switchboard to switch between cameras <laughs>
1: yeah one of my uh, dreams has always been to uh, run a, a game with lots and lots of sound effects and music and have someone whose job it is just to do that so i can focus on dming yes yeah
0: so so i mean speaking of that there are you know you've you've got your your hand in a number of different pots here um you at least for a while i'm not sure if you're still as active with it anymore but you've got a, a youtube channel where you've got a number of uh videos and case kind of some looks like some actual play content on there. yeah
1: yeah there's a lot on there there's stuff on there that i'm not all that proud of because when i look at it now i see the mistakes i made but mm-hmm. i don't want to take it down because i'm at some point i'm hoping to do more videos and to use those examples of okay here's something i did right here's something i did wrong and this is why it was wrong and stuff like that so yeah i i haven't uh done it uh lately uh, i don't record our current games but um yeah I, I, it's another thing i want to get back to There's a lot of things
0: yeah no i think that it's it's fascinating to see uh actual plays on twitch or on youtube um like it's it's such an interesting way to kind of consume the content because I don't get to play very much anymore. Right. And, and I don't have four hour chunks of time or even two hours really that I can dedicate to it, but I can watch 30 minutes at a time or 15 minutes at a time on lunch breaks and, and, breaks from work or little, little places where I could fit it in or listen while I'm doing dishes or laundry or anything, I can still experience the content and feel like I'm a part of the community and share in these stories that other people are involved in without having to be the one that's setting up the calendar and making sure everybody can come over and making the snacks and whatever. So, right.
1: Not just that too, uh, listening to, um helpful podcasts like this one that talk theory right yeah. you can have you can have those playing in the backer you don't have to watch those right you can just listen right so
0: exactly and it's yeah. like another great way to learn from other dm styles like i've heard sure. um you know podcasts where they talk about well if magic existed and clerics existed then there would probably be a health insurance industry and everything would be you know there'd be all these different things that if magic existed, why would anybody do anything and trying to like counterpoint that and say like, well, it's expensive or it's rare or the adventurers are not, not everyone is an adventurer. So what kind of access is there? And just thinking about those kind of meta ideas can give you a lot of ideas to make into your own campaigns.
1: Yes. That's, that's very, very true. Um, one of the things I'm asked often is about, um, bringing a world to life or describing your world. And uh, the advice I always offer is if you want to give someone an idea of what it's like in your world, explain to them what the life of the average citizen is like, not an adventurer. Where do they live? What do they do? How do they earn a living? Right. Stuff like that. So uh, it's a, it's a good, it's a good basis. Yeah. Those are good questions. And another thing is that when you listen to a lot of different podcasts, like this one, you're going to hear some ideas that never occurred to you before. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. I never considered that. What are the ramifications of that if I do that?
0: So, speaking of, of that, have you, it's something that I've dabbled with a couple of times. It's kind of difficult to do sometimes in the DD system because I don't feel like it's really made for it, even though they they speak to it as being a possibility. But have you run any low magic campaigns?
1: Well, sure. I mean, uh, I've run campaigns that that go for a while and stay at low level. And by low magic, I would say that, I mean, be, my homebrew world isn't a high magic world. I don't think of it that way. Um, the majority of lights are torches or lanterns. They're not magic lights. If you go into a house that has magic lights, woo! this is a rich person. They can afford to have this, or this is a very right. ancient place with old magics, right? Um, the majority of magic items in my world, at least the permanent ones, come from a previous age. They're not nice. made today. They can't be made today. That's just leftover stuff, right? So,
0: yeah, I think the ancient technology route is a really fun because you can you can play a lot with, I mean, i I love regular history and and playing with regular history where it meets fantasy like Neat. anything ancient egyptian or mesopotamian or something like that and leveraging those themes and some of the ideas behind them you know the jungle temple or the desert temple and things like that right. is a is a really fun way to to scrounge around for ideas
1: right keeping a world low magic means that the magic that is there is more special I don't want to play, at least I don't want my fantasy world to be one where magic is ever commonplace. There are no, for instance, there are no wizard schools in my world. Wizards are, there's a wizard and an apprentice. And when that apprentice becomes a wizard, he takes on an apprentice. If you want to learn to become a wizard, you got to find someone who's willing to accept you as an apprentice. That is the only way. There are clerical schools because the religion is often about, you know, uh, promoting something (laughs) right
0: Right. but still you have to be favored by the gods then you're not just not even you can have a thousand worshipers at a cleric's temple and maybe one of them you know the priest is the only one that's that's got a level of cleric in them
1: that's 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 right Yeah, yeah yeah and i like to think that you can't be a pretender you can't go to a church of say uh, I don't know, a uh, laughander and not believe in rebirth and stuff like that. The God is going to see through you and say, no, I'm not giving you powers.
0: Yeah. Cause you're not giving right? me any power. That's you don't right. actually believe. And that's I right. feel your belief.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yep. 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 That's,
0: that's really cool. Yeah. I've, I've wanted to, the closest I've gotten to low magic has been in modern or future campaigns, but technology usually takes the place of that. And so it's still kind of high magic. Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. just by a different name Mm -hmm. and but yeah a a lower magic campaign or staying at low level longer because i think you know i've i I did an episode a few back about uh running higher level campaigns and the difficulties that can come of that yep and i think that one of the answers to that is that it's okay to stay at low level for a while
1: yeah, I, I think what's important to at least me and our my players, you want to have a sense of progression, but it doesn't have to be power progression, right? It's, right. oh, I'm getting closer to my goal. I'm uncovering more secrets, right? I'm learning more lore about the thing I need to do. So as long as you have that sense, that progression, you have to get a sense of growth. And uh, that's, that's, I think, what we look for.
0: Well, and I think that like one shots help describe that really well. And I think that even like longer form one shots, quote unquote, where it takes place over several weeks or months or whatever, where you say everybody can roll up a six level character that gives you access to plenty of things. You can multi-class or change or do whatever you want. But once you're done, you're locked in and everything else from there will be the story. And I think that's a totally viable way to play. Like, you don't have to level up every session.
1: Right. Uh, another uh, downside to leveling too quickly is I've encountered this in the past where um, you you gain levels so fast, you're like, well, I'm not that familiar with the powers I just got. And now I got even more. And now I get it. So you get players kind of fumbling and struggling more to, to know their character where... If you're at that level for a longer time, then you're you get very used to it. You're only adding a little bit every little while.
0: Um, no, I 100% I, agree.
1: I, and I prefer um, kind of a soft milestone uh, lo- rate of advancement. Not, I don't like XP. It's t- too gamey for my taste. It's like, oh, yeah. I need 40 XP. I better go kill a bear, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I we tend to it a little bit democratically where do you think the party has accomplished enough interesting things that war leveling up is warranted right and we sort of do a group consensus and that seems to be about every third ish session at the low levels and then every fourth or fifth at like level four or five and rarer as you keep going and
0: yeah i definitely prefer some form of modified milestone xp like i may assign you xp for things and say that you got an xp number but that number is specifically catered to where your next milestone is going to be along the path so
1: another thing about uh about milestones is that sometimes you'll have a session where you think okay the DM will be probably this scene and this scene, these scenes. And then the party winds up taking like an hour role playing a scene. You're like, wow. Okay. So we actually didn't get that much done and that's cool. Everybody had fun, but it doesn't make sense to level yet because you know, this hasn't been dealt with or whatever.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it can be on the flip side too, though. I like to still reward XP for, because sometimes that's the easiest reward you can give. Because a player didn't do anything to actually earn gold or, you know, maybe get like a magic item or something, but giving offering players some kind of reward. Maybe it's inspiration dice or experience, especially early on to encourage role playing. Like, yeah, you guys didn't have combat, but I'm giving everybody 150 XP for handling that negotiation with the noble in such a really cool way that I feel like everybody may have just talked for an hour at the banquet but it was such a fun expression that I still want to reward them for it.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the short lesson is reward the behavior you want repeated, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so it's more of a question of, did something interesting occur? Not how much gold did you get or treasure? Did you get right? I would say often um, my rewards are, my games tend to be very oniony where you're peeling back the layers on. Oh, Oh well, now we have more questions. Oh, well, whoa! Well, so what does that mean then? Right? So that's kind of the the joy, the the treasure, the reward, uh, if you will. But I the also reward
0: need, is a cliffhanger.
1: <laughs> I I really try and end the game on a cliffhanger if I can. Yes. Um, but also with inspiration, I I use a three inspiration point limit, so it gives it. I'm freer to hand it out, and players are less likely to. I'm gonna hang on to this till I need it for death it saves. Forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right.
0: That's that's a hey, you know what I I would probably that's a something I just in you saying it. It's like yeah, it's a three limit, but also you can't use it for death saves. Oh, I hadn't so, thought of that. Yeah, so you can that. have up to three, but you death saves are all natural and the dice. That's it. Sure. Sure. So that that yeah. way, it kind of that that you get more. But it's a risk-reward sort of thing. You've got to give up your death save inspiration, but you get more inspiration overall.
1: That's cool. No, I like that. Uh, It's rare that they save it for death. Usually if they get the death saves, they don't have any left.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're burning everything up before that point. They like their inspirations.
1: Oh, I really want to get out of the way of that fireball. I'm going to use an inspiration point. (laughs) Right? Yeah.
0: Do you have a either character class combo that you really like to play i know you say you don't like to repeat yourself but do you have kind of something that you want to see or that you wish that other people would try out more often something that maybe isn't necessarily min-maxed but has a lot of potential
1: yeah um so again like i said i don't i try to the kind of character i want to play is a kind of character i've never played before right Uh, that said there are certain things i do like i like having a lot of buttons to push i'm more likely to play a caster than a fighter simply because they're more I- interesting mechanically speaking right all right so i can be, i have more opportunities to be creative i really like uh utility spells and using them in creative ways uh, in a game a little while ago i was i had a low level i was playing a rogue trickster and one of the three spells i had was speak with animals and there was a we were on a river and a, one of the characters fell into the river and there was a crocodile coming for him and i cast speak with animals and said to the animal he's poisonous and, <laughs> and it worked and the, the hey, persuasion check against him. the
0: crocodiles pretty yeah. low dc <laughs>
1: so you know i i like uh, i like characters with lots of like little uh options to play as for combos um yeah variety i mean that's really what i want to see i i dislike it when players will find oh this is mathematically the most advantageous most of the time therefore i'm going to do this pretty much as my default action all the time yeah that's just uh you're not really role-playing then are you you're just playing a tool right
0: I would much rather, like, I will allow somebody more flexibility in maybe selecting, like, a homebrew kind of class or a homebrew subclass or something. If their reasoning is to roleplay, then I would if their reason is because this breaks the game and allows me obscene damage.
1: Right, 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 right. Intent is key. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I dislike it. Uh, if player multi classes because he says, "Well, if I have two levels of Paladin, then that will let me do." <laughs> really, that is your reasoning? Come on, try and come up with an in character reason, right? Like why? Right.
0: Yeah. I had a, I was, I, I got to play an artificer, and the DM allowed me to continue rebuilding the same item. So Meat. I, I started with kind of a single. It wasn't. Uh, it's was like animate rope on kind of like a lightsaber sort of handle. So the rope like was stored inside of it. And then the eventual idea was that it was also used as the thorn whip, right? So I could use it as thorn whip or I could use it to animate rope. And then later on, I could use rope trick with and tinker with it and add more spells to it. So it started becoming this kind of universal item where I was layering on different types of you know, I would add mending to it so it could mend itself. So I could cut it and mend it back together, or I could have the portable hole option. Or so it's kind of my my universal lightsaber rope item. You know, and
1: no, that's neat. Another uh, cool thing about doing something like that is instead of uh, just having players level up, you can have magic items sort yes. of level up, right? So the the intent is to avoid oh, this is a plus two flaming blade. I'm going to throw away this plus one piece of junk Mm -hmm.
0: I have. Right. That I've been using for like eight months that probably I have some attachment to. Yeah,
1: that might have some history even, right? Mm -hmm. This was the sword that was used to slay the whatever, right? Um, So instead of doing that, where the characters are constantly having to just chuck items away and replace them, you have an item grow in power, right? And... uh, and that that can be an enjoyable, and more yeah, progressed. it definitely.
0: And I think discussing that with a player initially, like, what is your hope? Like, how do you want your character to advance? What's their history? Like, building that into their backstory, where maybe they don't start with it, but they can find it fairly soon, and it starts off very simple. But as they bond with it, as they understand it, and whether it's by their god giving them favor like like where does a legendary weapon come from right it's either right. made or it's because it slayed an arch demon right like and yeah. so if your god favors you and favors your weapon your weapon is going to get better as an expression of your god's favor and yeah. yeah that's a great way to make a legendary weapon so that when your character passes on that's something they can leave in the world
1: yeah, that's a cool way of describing it. Uh, you can have it as, as, as it gets used, it unlocks more abilities, right? Abilities that were hidden inside it now suddenly come to the fore because it's in use, right?
0: Yeah. No, 100%. And I think that that's a... And just as much, there's any number of ways, you know, that like the artifice are tinkering with it or wizards crafting them or just finding something that, you know happens to be the right thing at the right time for your group of players and and circumstance can, or they can the quest to repair the, the ancient weapon is a is a you know often used trope so
1: yeah the, the th- assemble of five fragments of the whatever mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um so i uh i, I do wanna kind of curtail a couple of things here is there um is there anything that we haven't gotten to talk about today that you would like to bring forth uh, while we're here?
1: Uh, sure. So there's two things. Uh, one is I would like to talk about structure. Uh, structure is something that is rarely talked about in DMing advice. And there's tons of good DMing advice out there. Let's let's face it. A lot of the stuff we're talking here isn't new. Right. Um, but one thing I rarely hear talked about is structure. And I don't exactly mean story structure what i mean is when you're going to create an adventure or a campaign identify the structure before you come up with any ideas about for your campaign and the structure uh, can be a lot of things Um, in my current campaign i would define the structure as the pcs each create a primary and a secondary quest and from those quests, I will weave a hopefully cohesive story. Okay, okay. So now you have this framework that your story needs to match up to. So instead of, oh, I could create a create a campaign. Oh, I can literally think be anything. That can right. be a little overwhelming. But if now you have um parameters for the, the story goals. you're trying to create
0: right two I, goals the story from every has, player
1: what right but what i'm saying is as the creator now whatever i i write has to use this 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 and this now all of a sudden it's kind of easier in a way because i don't have a billion options right Right. I now player
0: 1 limited. wants to be a pirate lord and player 2 wants to kill a dragon So is there some way I can blend those together and make an encounter on the scenes where this happens, where they become a pirate Uh, lord because they're in the party that killed the dragon?
1: Right. Or have those overlap or, you know, Mm -hmm. intermingle or stuff like that. So uh, the advice I want to give that is rarely heard is consider your structure, create your structure first, identify what that is before you come up with any story. And it will be easier for you to do it uh the previous campaign i wanted a shared origin something that was Uh, important to all the characters so the previous campaign was about uh this tribe of barbarians and their lands are basically going to become uninhabitable very soon so your group has to go off and find a suitable place for your tribe to move to right and I had a Druid, there was a Druid, a Ranger, and I can't remember what the other one was. They weren't the barbarian class, but they were like a barbarian nomad kind of thing. Right. right? So, yeah, I had that. I I did a campaign where you're misfits in a war, right? You've been drafted into a war. Create characters that do that. Right. And then, so now again, I don't have a whole universe to have to choose from. I'm. And wedging
0: characters, wedging in. Characters that wouldn't normally like meet each other, like trying to, that's where the, you meet in a tavern works. But if right. you have a structure behind it, it's a lot easier to change that meetup. Right. And, and, and change the start. I think that's a genius. It also ensures that the genius of that is it ensures that you're going to give every player something that they want. Cause yep. you're telling them I'm going to build the world based on the things that you want your character to do, I guarantee will be the foundational elements of the game that I create.
1: Yes, it makes it easier for the players too in that every character you ever create for any game has to share one trait, which is they have to want to go on the adventure. Yes. Right? And if you're creating a story that's about what the character already wants, it's very easy for them to justify why their character is doing that. It'll, yeah, right? that,
0: that you, have to, you avoid the sense of railroading because if they already want to do it, it's not railroading.
1: That's right. Yeah. It's not like, well, I guess I'll go. I'm getting paid a thousand gold, but right. it's not something I want. It's something this noble wants, but all right. The-
0: the I'll DM offered me one quest for a 1,000 gold and one quest for 10. Gee, I wonder which yeah. way I should go. Yeah.
1: Whereas <laughs> if it's the quest, you know, in my current game, one of the players is trying to find out what happened to their mother who went missing a month before the campaign started. And so they started at their last known location and that led them to this and that led them to this, right? So, yeah.
0: No, that's that's a genius idea. And I think Thanks. that it it, it also like you said, it takes uh, some of the work away from the DM. It ensures that the players get exactly what they want. It makes it easier to run the game because you don't have to guess what they want and hope they follow your hooks that they didn't even realize were story hooks. And I think it also kind of helps, it encourages that player creation of story and gives that opportunity to it's supposed to be a collaborative storytelling effort it it Correct. is not the dm telling their book idea to the players and hoping they go along so it's true. supposed to be a shared experience and so true part of sharing is you give as much as you take and yes yeah yes no that's a, that's a great way to do it
1: don't as a dm don't uh run the game to make the thing happen that you were going to have happen. Play to find out what happens,
0: right? Yes. Yeah, it's it's definitely a humbling experience to let go of the moments that you may have planned months for, it that fall apart and not in fall apart in a bad way, fall apart because of genius character ideas that you never you planned for every avenue that they could take and they still find some way to surprise you like relish in that that's Um, something that is to be experienced
1: applaud the party on their creativity well Mm -hmm. done right i call it getting rid of the safety net right instead of making the thing happen oh in my it'll be better story if this occurs well if you're just going to force that to occur they're playing your book right? right let them steer Right? It, it's players? a lot easier.
0: It takes a lot of work. It's it's awkward at first. I think it's difficult because people are used to reading books and reading ed, or running adventure modules where everything's kind of laid out. Sure. But if you can let go of it and embrace that more kind of chaotic nature, the number of times that I have been wowed by players and and even wowed by myself because I didn't think that I would have an answer. And instantly, I had the perfect, like, they had a genius moment. And then I had the wittiest counterplay, like the counterspell to the counterspell, you know? Right, right, but, right, right. But when you stitch that in into a piece of plot that I didn't plan, I didn't expect that my villain would do this. And in the moment, the players have a clutch move, and I can counter clutch it and, like, one up that to a greater level and see, can we go further? You know, do you yeah. have a second great idea?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And, you know, and try and put in stuff that there is no just two ways it could go or one way it could go. I even had a simple little encounter. I'll tell you about the players are going through this city. There's going down a busy street. There's two buildings and there's a bridge on a second floor bridge, like, you know, 15 feet off the ground, connecting the two buildings that ran across the road. So I described the players, I say, you see two youths standing on top of the bridge, and as a wagon goes under the bridge, one of them drops a big rock into the wagon, and then they both take off into one of the buildings. What do you do? The players could just do nothing. They could just ignore it. It doesn't affect right. them. But yep. instead, two of them chose to take off and find the kids, and two right. of them went to alert the wagon owner, right? And they are like, and they caught the kids, and they dragged them back to the cart, Right. And they're like, ha ha, we caught the bad guys and the wagoner system. I'll take it from here. And he grabs the kids and he takes them into his wagon and closes the door and rides off. And the player's like, Oh crap. What did we do?
0: Right. <laughs> what did the we just do? kids done? were actually good guys trying to overturn the slave owner. That <laughs> right, was...
1: right. Right. Or they're just pranksters. And now they're going to be murdered or something. Like, right. oh no. yeah. Right. So yeah. yeah.
0: Split moral conundrums where yeah. the morality is not obvious. I by love the it. action is, is really fun way. And I don't even have to know which way it goes. Because the players might tell me what they want. Yep. And I can either use that to subvert their expectations and give them that, oh, moment where everybody is, the secrets are revealed that I, there was no secret to begin with. I made it up on the spot, yeah, but yeah, they yeah. don't know that. <laughs> right, right,
1: right. Um, you know, sometimes you'll see, uh, I'll say poor DMs relish in, oh, I killed the party, ha ha, ha with my pretend mm-hmm. gun. That's not, that's not, where I get the evil joy is I force them to make tough choices. Yes. That's my joy. Right. There was no good choice.
0: My joy is when I hear uh, you planned this, like you wrote all of this. And I look at my note card and I have three Uh, bullet points that are like do shopping, maybe goblin question mark and cool battle. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah, I totally planned all of it. I had everything figured out. This is awesome. I'm so great. No. <laughs> it's, it's one of the fun,
1: fun things about DMing, right, is seeing what comes out of, like, I don't have to think of a solution. Here's the right. situation. Deal with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I right. don't even have to know how this puzzle is solved. I'm yeah. just going to take three elements and put a time limit on it, and you'll find a solution. Yeah. yeah, And I'll just let whatever happens happen and let the dice rolls go through. There's no, like, puzzles with actual, actual solutions are cool, but it can be, it can feel just the same to the players when you don't have a solution. You just have, there's a falling ceiling and acid is pouring in through the walls. What do you do?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good uh, point to point uh, opportunity to point out something, which is what railroading really is. If you have a trap or a situation where there's only one possible solution and anything else the players try, you're going to naysay it, that's railroading. That's crap. Yes. Don't do that, right? If the players come up with an idea you didn't think of, yes, applaud it. Go with it. Brilliant. Well done. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that that, that linear storytelling is confused for railroading a lot. Agreed. I think totally that- agreed. Matt Colville has a recent video on this. I love his work. He's he's yep. a really good good yep. source of information. But he he mm-hmm. talked about linear storytelling is not railroading. Railroading exactly. is uh, like you see a house. Uh, you bypass a haunted-looking house. And the players go, nah, it's off to your east. And they go, nah, we're going to go west. And you go, okay. As you go west, a mile later, you see a haunted-looking house. And... And they go, no, nah, we're going to keep going. And you you say that there's no other way. They have to right. experience the haunted house. That's railroading. Right. Right. But putting the haunted house there and them exploring it because that's what they want to do. And finding plot elements there that take them to the next point is just linearized storytelling. It's not forcing the players to do it.
1: Yeah. It's also more like real life. In real life, we make plans. Uh, tomorrow, I have to go to the store. I have to mm-hmm. pick up milk. Whatever, right? And then you do those plans. That's not railroading. That's just logic, right? Exactly. That's just, I have to go to the tavern. I have to talk to the barkeep about the guy he saw in that tavern fight, right? That's just that's not railroading. That's like you say, linear. It's logical, right? It's sensible.
0: Yeah, and I and I think that a lot of a lot of early DMs may be afraid of linear. Like they think sandbox means. The players have to be able to do absolutely anything. And I think that in a sense, there should be a level of freedom. But I think that uh, unlike something like I think video games have conflated this a lot where Minecraft sure is a sandbox where you can do anything, but you're there because you want to do any you want to do a specific thing. Right, You want to build a cool castle or recreate a scene from Lord of the Rings or something. And just because you can do, you could walk West for 18 hours and do nothing else, but that's not why you're there. And I think that player DM, a lot of new DMs think that if they have to have a sandbox, they have to have this whole world planned out where anything can happen and they have everything figured out. And that's not it. The sandbox just means that the players don't have to climb the wall. They can use a grappling hook or they could barter for a thieves guild to take them in the secret passage underneath the wall or Sure, that's they the can sandbox. get a
1: hold of a pass wall scroll and figure, out yeah, yeah. whatever solution they come up with, go with it, right? Like, if yeah. it's, as long as it's logical and sensible,
0: yes, well done. But they still need right. to get through the wall. That's right. That's the linear that's, part. The sandbox right. part is they can get through the wall however they want.
1: Right, right totally right. And, you know, when it comes to railroad as enforcing behavior, often the players can do that to the DM. If the players set buildings in uh, in your town on fire, you mm-hmm. can't ignore that. You now right. have to respond to that, right? So who's pulling the strings, right? Who's, which, which is <laughs> right. really what you want. You want those players to have as much agency, right? I like yeah. to say they completely describe what they do and I just tell them how the world responds. And right.
0: they will become wanted criminals very quickly. They might.
1: They might. <laughs> they might. Yeah, yeah, they just might. They better watch themselves. Uh, kudos to my current party. Twice they uh, got a combat with this gang, and twice they let them live. They, Aww, <laughs> one
0: that's time so they're all
1: Well, one time they're all magically asleep, and the second time they really slapped the crap out of them and said, no, you're not going to be after us again, right? Because you're not getting a third chance. So good on them, right?
0: No, that's awesome. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap things up today? I
1: I would be remiss if I didn't mention the company I work for, which is called Critical Hit Publishing. You can find lots of our stuff on DriveThruRPG or DMs Guild. Uh, Critical Hit Publishing, uh, Alex Gillett is the... Uh, publisher main publisher the owner he's also the artist stuff like that he makes things look pretty we have a another person dbj and Devay is fantastic we have a series called cinematic environments which is all about making travel interesting so like there's a whole book on arctic uh locations desert locations mountain locations so on and so forth and there's lots of charts in there and then how about how you can make travel uh, more interesting and i do some writing and some editing and uh, things like that as well we have other stuff on there we got books on potions and poisons and adventures and stuff like that but anyway critical hit publishing check us out
0: yeah we'll have a, a link for that in the description in the show notes so yeah cool. definitely do check that out cool well, uh, Rob, thank you so much! And uh, check out the Swamper on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. So that's all for the episode today. Please let me know your thoughts, comments, or episode ideas. All of the links and contact information can be found on the card website down in the show notes. And I'm most active on Twitter at and dinners. If you're interested in supporting the show and getting access to the new bonus episodes, Discord content, or just want to show your support, consider tossing a few coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for another great podcast to listen to, check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with all of you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.